Hey everyone, welcome to the Hug Church Podcast. You're listening to episode number 17. We did it everyone, we made it to Easter, aka Hugs, one year anniversary. We celebrated with Hawaiian themed everything from Hawaiian food, Hawaiian mochi cakes, shaved ice, acai bowls, and we even had a beautiful hula ministry moment. I'll be honest and let you all know that I totally cried multiple times throughout the day. It was so beautiful for me to see old and new faces journeying together to know Christ and be a part of the Hug family. So before I introduce my husband, I want to say thank you to each and every single one of you for being such a huge part of our community. Well, without further ado, here's Eddie with our Easter message. And this is our one-year celebration. It's amazing. It's amazing. Now, one thing I want to share, I am Korean. And a part of Korean culture is one-year birthdays are very, very significant. And we do big. Some child's first-year birthdays cost more than weddings, actually. Do you know that? And so we at Hug, to celebrate the one-year anniversary of Hug, we wanted to invite this community, invite this city, invite our friends and family to celebrate this birthday. And so we want to thank you for coming. We're going to celebrate with, we got milk tea station, shaved ice, acai bowl, Hawaiian food, hula. I mean, we got prizes. We were going really big on this one-year birthday. So thank you guys for coming. We really appreciate it. You know, it's really, it's, it's, a, it's really crazy to me because in the beginning, it was just me, my wife, and Eric meeting at our house, just kind of like, hmm, how should we do this? And then slowly, We started as a house church with six people in my living room not too long ago. And it's amazing. Look at this, right? God is faithful. Somehow, God will use me to create all this. And so I want to thank you guys. Well, today, I kind of want to end a series that we've been in. Our series has been called Becoming, Discovering Who You Really Are. Everybody here has been searching. Searching for who they truly are, why they exist, what they're meant to do, who they, who they really are, and who the fake person is. And we've talked about comparison, hiding, not fitting in, struggle, all these things that help us become who we are. But I would argue that what helps us really discover who we truly are is to ask the question, what's the best version of you? What's the best version of you? Think about that. What is the best version of yourself? What does that look like? Now, when I ask that, most of us will think in terms of success. We'll think in terms of success. Our career. Maybe we, we see ourselves in luxury. Driving a Tesla. Maybe some of us envision ourselves running our own business and crushing it. Maybe some of us envision ourselves as an Instagram influencer and having a thousand likes just by posting your baby. Maybe some of us imagine this spouse that is just like hot daddy or hot mama, right? I already got that, but... Some of us think about it in terms of success, right? But I, I, I want to I challenge that a little bit. You know, my son, he's really into building Legos right now, okay? And every time we build Legos together, he wants me to 
use every piece possible to stack it on top of each other because he wants to build the highest tower possible. And if you've ever built with Legos, and if you use every resource possible to stack just on top of each other, you'll get the thing really high, but what ends up happening? It's very easy to fall, right? And so I want to think about this. When we think about the best version of us in our life, and we think about it in terms of success, it's like we almost think of it like we're this big, tall, shiny building. This tower, something that everyone can see as successful and powerful and strong and beautiful. But again, I want to challenge that idea a little bit. Because when I think about people who just crush it in their careers, right? We've lost a lot of people in the past decade, century, right? One One of my favorite actors is this guy named Robin Williams. Robin Williams. Robin Williams here, and this is a quote that he said, I think the saddest people always try their hardest to make people happy because they know what it's like to feel absolutely worthless, and they don't want anyone else to feel like that. Robin Williams. When he died, when he killed himself, it was absolutely shocking to me that this person, this talented, so transcendent, would not be happy with their life. Another person that our world has lost is this person. Does anyone know who this is? I don't know. The age demographic could be hard to tell. Who is this person? Marilyn Monroe, the iconic sex symbol. Happy birthday, right? And you would think the person who is known to be America's, maybe even the world's iconic sex symbol, the most beautiful woman, She ended her life when she was 36 years old. So there is something about this external success that we built that doesn't mean necessarily that is this the the best version of us? You know, we lost somebody else um, this past year, and and it's really um, emotional for me. I've talked about here this at Hug, Hug is Anthony Bourdain. When we lost Anthony Bourdain, it was very, very hard for me. I grew up watching him. Um, in no reservations. And as a kid, he made me love food. It's like Anthony Bourdain and Emeril Lagasse. If you know me, I just love cooking. I'm I'm so passionate about it. So when when we lost Anthony Bourdain, it's like, why? Why? And then another thing, if you know about me, I talk a lot about Batman. I'm obsessed with Batman since I was a little kid. And the most most transcendent performance and maybe cinematic uh, theatrical movies, I think, is literally the Joker that was played by Heath Ledger. There is really no one that can play this role better. No one can even act and perform better than Heath Ledger. And yet, he died. And so we have to challenge this idea that being the best in your field, in career, and, and having the greatest performance, it might not necessarily be true. When we think about our best life, maybe even like relationships, you know when there's two beautiful people and they get married to each other and it's like, you're like, gosh, if, I, if only I could have that picture-perfect relationship. Well, when I, again, I watched a lot of TV as a kid, if you can't tell, right? And one TV I watched probably more hours than any other TV show is this show called I Love Lucy. 
Does anybody know that show? That show is killing it on syndication, right? They make so much money on syndication. But if you know, Lucille Ball in the show was married to a man named Ricky Ricardo. His real name is Desi Arnaz. But did you know that they were married in real life? Did you know? I only knew, I knew that as an adult. I didn't know. And it's like, oh my gosh, their acting was so, like their, their love was real. They bickered like a real married couple. No wonder they were really married, okay? And, and, and then later, do you know what ends up happening as an adult, I found out? They divorced. Lucille Ball and Ricky Ricardo divorced. The most, the most beautiful, iconic TV couple, they divorced. And then I got a little older in my teenage years, and I, no one was more happier than me when the Prince of Pop and the Princess of Pop got together. You guys know what I'm talking about. That is JT and Britney Spears. This was like a glorious moment for me in my teen years. I, it's like I cannot believe it. It was like just as good as maybe the idea of Batman versus Superman, which didn't do well. But it was like your child, you're just like, please get together. I hope they date. And they did. And they got together. And it was the most like Ken Barbie couple in, 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 in celebrity history. But guess what? They broke up. And I was devastated. All right? But... I thought, that, I thought that nothing can hurt me or sting me as much as this couple breakup. Like, no, don't say it's... But then there was this other phenomenon that happened. Every girl, maybe about 10 years ago, was obsessed with this book. They called it female porn. This is what men called it, okay? Because men or women were obsessed with this book, reading this book, fantasizing that men would be like this book. And that book was... And you know what? I had to read this book because I was like, what's going on? And then when I, when I started reading this book, has anyone read this book, the Twilight series? Okay, it's so shameful, right? Because I just called it, because I just called it like female porn. They're like, well, maybe, like, you know, it's a safe place, guys. No one's going to judge you about this, right? But my goodness, I started reading this book. And when I read about Edward, oh, his name's Edward, Right? And their love was so pure and just so intense. They had to be together, but he would like hold himself back from being with. It was like, it was like, oh, no wonder. No wonder women love this book, right? And then guess what? The actors, Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart, they really dated and they got married. Oh my goodness. I was redeemed and healed of my of my heartbreak of JT and Britney Spears. Again, I can move on. But guess what? They broke up and divorced. So we have to understand that, that when we think about what's the best version, we think about this picture-perfect image of even in our marriages and relationships. But that's not necessarily true, okay? But what concerns me the most, actually, is that when this mindset bleeds in into spiritual success. It's, it's, it's something that we are obsessed in our culture that, that even when it comes to spirituality, Christianity, and church, that it is, it is the biggest, most beautiful building. Now, this is a beautiful building, so I'm going against kind of what I'm saying, okay? But it, it's kind of like 
Churches are beautiful. Churches are big. Pastors who represent what it looks like to be a Christian to everybody has to be charismatic and, and be outward. And, and if you know right now, just like the tower we are building with the Legos, these, these leaders that are representing and modeling what it looks like to follow Jesus are falling. Sexual misconduct, affair, suicide. And this is my great concern that when we're thinking about what does the best version of ourselves look like, we are looking to these celebrities. We are looking to these heroes. We are looking at our church and faith leaders and they are showing that it looks like this big, tall tower. This building, it's beautiful, it's big, it's massive. And that's what it looks like to be the best Christian, the best husband, the best worker, the best entrepreneur. And you know what? I, I, I struggle with this as well. I thought it was true. You know, I, I have a beautiful wife, hot mama, yeah, I do. I have two children living the American dream. I have a boy and a girl. All right. I have no debt. All right. I'm living the American dream. Okay, guys. And a lot of us are in this room are on our way to clearing $100,000 of debt as a community. That's one of the things that we're celebrating here on this Easter as well. I drive my dream car, the 2013 Toyota Prius. Okay. I'm living my best life. But not only that, I've worked for some of the biggest companies in the country, in the world. I've been a pastor at one of the biggest churches in the United States. I've taught in front of thousands of people. I went to Stanford. I wrote a best-selling book. I mean, like, I, I've done it. I, you look at my resume, it's a great, tall, shiny tower. And I, and I think of myself, I wake up every day asking myself, is this the best version of me? Is this me at my best? And deep down inside, spiritually or maybe subconsciously, I know it's no. This is not the best I can be. This is not me at my best. But if it's not this building, if it's not this external, beautiful, shiny tower that we have built as our life, then what is it? What does it look like? And it has to look like something because we mimic, we follow, we, we imitate what we see. So that's what I want to talk about. What does the best version of you, what does it look like? Now I want to I want to I want to talk about this. I want to talk in I want to speak in uh, from Philippians, in the book of Philippians. Now, why we're going to start uh, uh, going to Philippians is because this passage that I'm about to read is very very relevant to what we are dealing with in this discussion, because in the the Philippians, we're also very obsessed with glory and buildings and honor. The people of Philippi, a Roman people, was a place where military commanders would retire and that the aim of their life was that when they die, that they live the life worthy 
of a statue building be, being built in their image. Their aim in life was to live a life that was so worthy that their, their name will be put on the top of a building. Sound very familiar. Sound very similar. And this is their mindset of what life is. This, is, this was their view of what it looks like to be the best version, to, to live a life that is worthy. If I lived a life that is worthy, then they would build a statue of me. If I lived a life that is worthy, then they would name a building after me. At the least, they will write my name very small in a building because I gave a lot of money to it, right? But Paul, Paul says this one thing to the Philippians about what it looks like to be the best version of you, and, it, and he turns it on in its ear. He turns their mentality and their view of success and the best version of them sideways. And this is what I want to talk about today. Are you guys ready? A couple other things about Philippians that I need to say. One, Philipp, this, this passage that we're about to read is arguably, by scholars say, is the most beautiful piece of literature written in the entire New Testament. And secondly, and personally, it would be, if I, if I had to, if I knew I was going to die the next day, this is the passage that I would preach my last sermon on. But I'm not going to die, guys, so don't worry, okay? But also, in my journey of being a Christian, of following Christ, every time I wanted to quit or not be a Christian, this passage that we're about to read has made me never give up. This passage that we're about to read is the reason why I still believe, I still follow, and I would say I'm still a Christian. So, not to, um, not to hype it up too much, right? But we're about to read this, all right? And I want to read this from the message version. And you might have read this passage in a different version, but I really think that the message version is a very, very accurate translation of this text. So this is what Paul says in Philippians 2. If you've gotten anything out of, the, out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Do me a favor. Agree with each other. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep spiritual friends. Now he's speaking to a group that since the time they were born, they were born and made to be competitive with each other. They were brought to be against one another. Because in order for you to go up, somebody needs to go down. So for Paul to say, if Christ has made any difference in your life, if, if, if love has made any difference in your life, if this community, this life, if you have a heart, then agree. Love one another. Be deep spiritual friends. And this is when he throws the truth bomb. This is what he says in verse 5. 
He says, don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. And then he says this in verse 5, which is the kicker, the truth bomb that he's about to say. He says this, think of yourself the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. Well, how did Christ Jesus think of himself? He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling on to those advantages that, that stattered no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. He became human. He became human. I find it interesting that when, when humanity wants to become the best version of themselves, they think that they need to become a god. When they think about what is the best version of me, they need to become immortalized and worshipped. But I find it interesting that God, when he wanted to show the best version of himself, he became a human. He became a human. And continuing, it says this. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless obedient life and died a selfless obedient death and the worst kind of death at that a crucifixion a crucifixion now i find it fascinating that to a group of people that were trained to become immortalized to live a life that they would build statues of them in their family's name and honor. To put their name on buildings and cities so that all the world can see their name and it will live forever. He gives this example of Christ being selfless, being obedient, and sacrificing. So maybe it doesn't look like a building. Maybe it looks like something else. Anyone from Brazil here? No Brazilians? Anyone been to Brazil? No? No? Wow, this is great. I mean, it's great for me because no one's going to fact check me. What am I about to say? All right, Sao Paulo, maybe? Okay, Any, no one. All right, Rio de Janeiro, anyone? Okay, this is good because I'm going to look like really smart and an expert in Brazilian culture, right? So if you go to Brazil, there is an iconic building or statue called Christ the Redeemer. Christ the Redeemer. Does anyone recognize this statue at all? All right. Very, very iconic symbol. Very, very tall. But you can't see from this angle that but his, the arms of Jesus in this statue are incredibly wide. And this was very controversial in building this statue, Christ the Redeemer in Rio de Janeiro. Now, people did not like that the hands of Christ were as wide as his height. Architecturally, it is a hazard. 
could, could that, that much weight be supported and not fall over time? But one of the things that people had a problem with, like, you know, Jesus needs to look more humble, like he's on, his, on, uh, on the cross, or that he needs to be praying, or more modest. But the Brazilian designers and architects fought back and pushed back saying, no, his arms need to be as wide as his height. And do you know why? This is fascinating. Because to the Brazilian people, when they look at that statue, they think of Christ as a bridge. His arms are wide because for the Brazilian people, Christ in their culture, in their history, were a bridge. He was a bridge. When the Portuguese in Europe invaded and conquered the native people of Brazil, there was war, there was tension, there was conflict. But you know the only way that these people connected and bridged and there was peace? It was a Catholic church. The Catholic church was the only entity and institution that was driven to bridge these two groups together, to live in unity, to live in peace, and to love one another and serve one another. And now, if you go to Brazil, they're deeply proud of this culture that we are open arms. We, we are hosts because, because we were hosts, because the Catholic Church was a bridge between people who hated each other, could not stand one another, this is our identity now. We are a bridge. So maybe the best version of humanity is not just this building that is the statue that is tall and, and big. But maybe it looks like a bridge. Maybe the best version of you looks like a building and a bridge. Now, I get in trouble, I've mentioned this before, by being too relevant. Have I shared this before? I get in a lot of trouble. You're about to see why, <laughs> okay? Um, if you don't like, if you're offended by TV and movie references, email me and I will give you when a guest speaker will preach here. You can come on those weeks. Um, and I'm also notorious for spoiling things so please if i'm about to spoil something i won't be offended if you just cover your ears but please do not give us a bad yelp review okay <laughs> somebody did that once and i'm not going to say if they're related to me or not but um so there is this phenomenon that has happened in the past eight years right and that and this has changed society where over 12 million, uh, sorry, 20 million people have been obsessed with how this show is going to end. And that show is, dun, dun, da, dun, dun, da, dun, dun, right? Are everybody going to watch episode two tonight? That's tonight, right? Yeah. Okay. So Game of Thrones. Now, I like to be relevant because sometimes 
it helps people connect with the text. Now, how are you going to connect the Bible with Game of Thrones? Well, firstly, have you read the Bible? It is exactly like Game of Thrones, okay? It is so, it almost, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's the Bible, okay? If you need to read it. And if you don't know that Bible, you need to come to this church because I say those stories here. All right? So Game of Thrones. So if you know Game of Thrones, or if you don't, it is, uh, it is based off a book by George R.R. R. Martin. Does anybody know that? Anybody read the books? Obsessed with the books? Fellow nerds here? Thank you. Awesome. Not just me. And so do you know who James R.R. R. Martin who was his inspiration or his hero in developing the, the story of Game of Thrones or the, the, the book, A Song of Ice and Fire? J.R.R. Tolkien, okay? I, uh, uh, coincidental that they both have R.R. as their middle name, right? I wonder if he did that to honor Tolkien, right? So he was inspired by J.R.R. Tolkien, who obviously wrote what book? Lord of the Rings. Now, Lord of the Rings has also been this iconic, influential story for humanity because it, it, it also depicts the story of Scripture, good versus evil, and humanity fighting for good to overcome evil and, and win the day in the end. Now, here's the thing. Here's a criticism about Tolkien. I like Tolkien. I like Lord of the Rings. I've shown a lot of pictures of Orlando Bloom here, right? You guys know I'm a fan of Lord of the Rings. But the criticism that George Martin and other writers have on Tolkien is that Lord of the Rings characters are incredibly one-dimensional. There is a dichotomy of humanity and people. It's very clear who is good. And it's very clear who is evil, right, in the Tolkien stories. It's very, very clear. Now, George Martin, he decided to be a very anti-Tolkien in his approach in writing Game of Thrones. So he specifically made sure that every character in his story are not clearly good and are not clearly evil. That every character in his story fall on a moral spectrum. And they're not clearly in one or the other, but some people are good that possess some evil, and some people are evil that possess some good. And it is his interpretation and social commentary on humanity that this is actually humanity. That we human beings actually are more on a moral spectrum. That we're not all completely good, that we possess some evil, and we're not all completely evil but we're capable of good. We all kind of fall into this anti-hero, neutral spectrum. Except for Ramses. He's pretty evil, okay? But there is one character in the show that I would say he is clearly good. And any story, any great story, any great novel has this figure. And you know, in, in, and I'm not talking about in a Christian way, but you know in the, the literary wor wor world, the technical term for this character or this persona? The Christ figure. <laughs> the Christ figure. Every great story has a Christ figure. A Christ allegory. A Christ type. Now, I didn't think that Game of Thrones would get this biblical and spiritual 
until I realized that, hey, there is one character that is good. And do you know what character I'm talking about? If you know the show, you know nothing, Jon Snow, right? Jon Snow is the, I mean, this, this past season, episode one, solidified for me that Jon Snow is the Christ figure and allegory in this narrative. You know why? The parallels are quite uh, incredible. They both are born of very low stature. They both are technically bastards, right? Jesus was not Joseph's son, right? John was not Ned Stark's son. They were both uh, uh, born of very low stature. They, had, they were secretly very powerful and royal, but no one knew. Everyone think they were low. They were both betrayed by their friend and killed by their friend. Sorry. Don't give us a battery up review. Okay. I'm sorry. It's been years, so it's too late. There's, there's like statutory time for that, right? <laughs> but most of all, he gave his life for two groups to be one. If you know the story, John gives, do you know why he was killed? It's because he invited the wildlings with the Night's Watch. I know some people are like, I can't believe he's saying this in a sermon right now, but I, I'm, I promise this is a very powerful image because we are, we are able to connect with the story. Now, the wildlings and the, and, and the Night's Watch hate each other, have fought each other for years and years and years, and then John brings them in to become one people to fight together, and he gets killed for it. And if you know, in this season, not only was he a bridge between the Night's Watch and the Wildlings, but he was resurrected, right? He was resurrected to be another bridge between the North and the South. Whoa, some people are mind blown, right? Now, I really struggle with Philippians 2. Because I used to think that, but the best version of myself has to look like this tall building that is strong, that is beautiful, that is successful. And then I even sat down with a mentor and a friend of mine, and I said, I don't think you can be the best version of yourself and be a Christian. And he's like, why? And I said, read Philippians 2. Jesus let go of his power. Jesus let go of everything he was capable of. Jesus let go of his best version. How can we be the best version of ourselves and be like Jesus? That doesn't make sense. And then he looked at me like Yoda. He's like, oh, you think the best version means success and I was like well yeah what we are capable of we need to become oh no in that passage the best version is about 
love. And if it's about love, then it's not about that. And that is when I had this mind-blowing experience of what it means and what it looks like to be the best version of you. See, it takes, it takes you being a bridge. If you know the story of Jon Snow, he is called King of the North because he gave his life to unite two people together. Would he be king if he didn't sacrifice? Would he have power and prestige if he did not give up his life? And the same of what it looks like to be the best version of you. It's not just a building that's tall, successful, wealthy, and beautiful. But it looks like a bridge. Your life, the best version of it, is meant to be a bridge between two people that can never be connected together. See, Jesus was the bridge between God and man. But right now, more than ever in our world, do we need people who are bridges? Bridges between husbands and wives that are on the brink of divorce and tearing a family apart. We need people who will stand and be a bridge between parents and children that can't stand one another. But most importantly, we need people to be bridges between people who know the love of God and people who need the love of God. And that is what we are celebrating today. Because Christ was a bridge between God and man. Hug. This church is a bridge between those who know the love of God and those who need the love of God. See, the best version of you, you know what it looks like? It's a bridge, but it's a building. It's a bridge and a building. It's a bridge and a building. It's a bridge and it's a building. It's a bridge and a building. What does that look like? The cross. Now look at this room, beautiful people, smart, intelligent, successful people. You have no problem being the best building possible. But what I'm compelling you to be is be a bridge. May your life, may the best version of your life, may your bridge be as long as your building. May your bridge your connection between two people, two groups. May it be as wide, may it be as long, may it be as strong as the building that you are creating.
Because that is when you will see what the best version of you looks like. And that's why we're going to celebrate Easter today. Let's pray together. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. And we want to invite you to always stay connected with us. You can find us on Instagram at HugChurch or at HugChurch.com. Until next week, a huge hug as usual from Eddie and myself.